like the show? Want to listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at the $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron-only feed where we put out episodes of Upstairs Studio podcasts like the Child Care Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more. Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt Santi, and today I've got Mike Huber on the show again. Hi, Mike. Hello. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Anything you want to say to people? Um, oh, I don't know. I, I have a cold, so hopefully I'll be okay. <laughs> if I, I'll try not to cough into the microphone, but... Uh, that's the no. big one. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I'm sorry you have a cold, but it is that time when everybody does, I think. Yeah. No, um, I saw you off topic already two minutes in, but one of the, uh, the, the community college class that I've started teaching, yeah. they all had to go out and do some observations. Um, for the first time, we just started class like a few weeks ago and they're right. all sick now and they're all like, Oh, it's cause I was in that childcare center for 30 yeah. minutes. The life. Yeah. Now I have everything. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> this is your life now. Yeah. Um, okay. So, Mike, you and I are going to talk about um, movement, but specifically the idea of um, kids having to sit crisscross applesauce and that sure. tradition of sitting crisscross applesauce. So, the quote from your book is um, crisscross applesauce is about compliance. I'm helping them be a more, more aware of each other or aware of others. And I'm not saying that teachers shouldn't have expectations for children, but rather the expectation should be focused on the goal, not on compliance. So that first part where they say, where you're saying crisscross is about compliance, that's what you're saying. Like, yeah. In, in conversation with teachers who use it, that's, that's yeah, yeah. sort of your response. And, right. And I think of it, you know, I do a lot of speaking with adults and I guess you could think of your own community college classes. Mm -hmm if you enforce how the people in the classroom were sitting, how many people would pay attention more and how many people would, you know, stop listening to you mm -hmm. altogether or leave. Yeah. You don't expect it. Like the goal ultimately is not to have children grow up to sit completely still and watch the speaker, you know? So uh -huh. I, I think, you know, if the goal is to really have people be polite, listen and engage 
then we have to look at how do three-year-olds, four-year-olds engage? Crisscross yeah. applesauce, <laughs> and, um, a very small minority, you know, of kids find that to be the way to engage. Right. And so this is, this is on, on my radar again lately because, um, and, and you and I talked about this a little bit, uh, when we were emailing about recording, um, Ray Pika had posted a blog post on Facebook. Um, and I think, you know, the title was something like crisscross applesauce. Is it time to retire this tradition or something like that? Right. And um, made excellent points. And so I shared it on my nerd page and on both her original post and the post that I shared on the nerd Facebook page most of the comments, I mean, there were hundreds of likes. So of course people were agreeing to some level, but most of the people who took the time to comment were commenting in argument of that idea that um, obviously you've never had a a large group of children that you've needed to keep in line or um, we do it for safety or, you know, what this is, you know, I'm trying to help them be aware of others and personal space. um, It just, it was both surprising and not surprising to me that so yeah. many people came out in defense of this, of this practice. Right. And I didn't hear anybody, or, I mean, I didn't read all the comments. But yeah, I, I stopped read, too eventually. <laughs> but I didn't read anybody's comments from a physical development point of view, a occupational therapist point of view. Um, you know, there, it was really from a teacher point of view. Yes. When I have to do this, that's what I need them to do. Um, and to me, like the ultimate goal as a teacher should be to engage children, mm-hmm. right? And so, right. I mean, I always use the example of um, one time when I went to read my picture books. It was the first childcare center I went in to read uh, my books. And so I was all excited being a new author. I go in and I'm reading a book to, they had like three classrooms in at the same time. So it was a large group of children. And the teachers were making kids sit crisscross applesauce. I was reading my book and one of them, a child finds a worm. Uh And this kid jumped up on their knees and said, I love worms. (laughs) As an author, you know, I spent a year by myself writing these books and editing them, you know, and to have somebody actually react that strongly to it was so exciting. Uh But guess what the next thing that happened was? Yeah, a teacher yelling, a correction. sit down, he's trying to read. Oh my God. And right. I just thought, oh my God, how dare this child show excitement about a book? Right. Right? And I'm like, sure what's... her reasoning was she was embarrassed that there was company in the room and she didn't right. have control of the kids. But yeah, also yeah. it was rude for to you. you right. But, but like you brought in this thing that you're excited about and someone else was excited and that's rude. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> So that's what amazes me is the goal really should be around an excitement about books and excitement literature, um, an excitement of sharing a group experience. I mean, that was in general, like if you're worried about literacy skills, the last thing you want to do is sit with a large group of children Uh book, but this is a different thing. It's a reading. So there is a community aspect to it. So I get that we were all sitting together, but I was excited to have someone be excited about the book Mm -hmm. and the crisscross applesauce didn't help with that in any way. Right. Um, now it's true if the children have no experience with sitting, being allowed to sit any way, the first five minutes would have been, oh, they, you know, you can't stand in front because no one else can see. And, mm-hmm. you know, but I think anyone listening to this that already lets kids sit in the way they choose, 
knows kids learn that and then they move on. Yeah. I guess I, and I was kind of disappointed that those teachers weren't in the, in the conversation on Facebook, but maybe it's, you know, like the reason I stopped reading the comments, I just was yeah. tired and I, I, I didn't know. think I it was about, a viable conversation. I I to be part of. Written, oh, sorry. I was, I wrote a response, but I don't think I ever finished it and posted it. Yeah. I just, was like, oh, forget it. Yeah, they're 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 not going to read it anyway. Maybe right. is what I was thinking when I thought about responding. But or they'll think I'm just as dumb. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we do um, in in my preschool. We do community time, is what we call it, and the goal yep. is to have them enjoy being part of the group. Yeah. Um, but also have a story and some songs in that time. So <laughs> it's it's very casual, and they can yep. sit however they want and. Um, there are times when that gets on my nerves yeah. because there's someone wants to get closer to the book to see, and then someone else yep. can't see. And then they're, you know, whining and yelling to each other about it. Right. But, but that's my problem. That's not something the children need to be burdened with my, right. my negative response to their very appropriate and typical and to be expected. Yeah. Behaviors. And also if they, if they learn to negotiate that, mm-hmm. like, I mean, you call it community community time, and they learn to be part of the community. So to yeah. me, it's yeah. I, actually, you know, I think interruptions aren't taking away from the learning. The interruptions are the learning, right? Right, but, and and they're always connected to the book. Like it's always because they right. want to see something or they want to yeah. say something. So why would I want to stop that connection that they're forming? Yeah, with right. the book I've chosen to share with them. Yeah. Now, I want to make sure we talk about physical development too, yeah, though. Yeah, please. Because I think of, um, and this is always a thing I can never remember if this was before I wrote the book or after it, because now I work with a lot of um, occupational therapists, mm-hmm. or at least in the same building. Yeah. And everyone to a T, you know, talks about in order to have children learn to sit in a chair, they first need to be able to anchor themselves in a variety of ways. I often compare this to, to have a baby learn to sit up. The worst thing you can do is put them in a car seat all the time or mm-hmm. other type of container. Yeah, one of those proppers. Yeah. So we know that what they have to do is use their core muscles, uh, figure out you know their proprioceptive and vestibular senses, like where do I move my body to stay up? Mm-hmm. and preschoolers do the same thing you know and they also have to do it with vision also so like toddlers when they get in a chair they have to climb into it face first mm-hmm. and some three-year-olds <laughs> and eventually they learn to be able to sit without looking at the chair which we don't think of but that requires a lot of core muscle coordination with your proprioceptive yeah right that's a, such so, a good point yeah yeah so that's all you know, that requires you to move around a lot more. You want the core strength. You want to get used to giving your brain input. Oh, when I sit this way, this is the way I keep from falling down, right? Like I, if I lean to this side, my leg has to go out the other direction. So I stay anchored. And it also means that preschoolers will fall down. So especially sitting in chairs, they're going to fall out of chairs. Mm -hmm. Even when they're sitting on the floor, they might bump into other people. That's giving themselves the input they need to learn how to do it. Mm -hmm. When they look at a space, they can't tell, can I actually fit there? 
And what they do is they physically try and end up sitting on their friend. Right. We get a lot of that. (laughs) Yeah. And the teacher reads that as they're pushing each other, it's like, well, how do they know they can fit there? You know, it's Uh like, it's like when you go into an airplane that you've been on for years and you think the seats are the same size, but they've shrunk (laughs) in them. Not to mention, I've probably gotten wider as, as years go by too, but I go to sit down and it's like, wait, I can't fit in here. Or even if someone uses my chair at my desk, if it gets moved, I go to sit down and I'm surprised. <laughs> and for three and four year olds, just sitting on the ground can be like that. They don't know if they're going to fit until uh-huh. they've tried dozens of times and then realize, well, that's not enough space. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, um, so they have to try things and they have to fail at some and they have to try sitting in a variety of ways. So their brain gets input and make those movements automatic. So they don't have to think about it right now. It's, sitting down is an intentional um, movement, intentional mm-hmm. action that they have to be thinking about. So part of their brain activity is not listening to you. It's paying attention to what they're doing. So if their legs are getting uncomfortable and they just move them, that, that's a good thing. That's making it more automatic that they can just shift around as needed, not have right. to pay attention to, oh, wait, I've got to keep my legs crossed because <laughs> the will be mad at me if I don't. To refocus themselves, right? That yeah. movement is really valuable for the engagement that we think that we're teaching them. Right. And it also, um, you know, sitting still decreases brain activity, mm-hmm. right? We all know it. We all doodle or tap our pencil or swing our foot, and it helps our brain pay attention. Young children need that same movement. If anything, they need it more. And yet we try to have them sit still so we know that we're quote unquote teaching, right? Uh Because teaching from that point of view is just about what the teacher does, not about what the children receive. Right. So if we're actually thinking about what do the children need to actually engage with this and um, take something from it and assimilate it into their previous knowledge and all that, they need to have a freedom of movement. So I think it's another example as I'm listening to you talk um, of, of ways that we expect more from children than we are willing to put forth ourselves. Yeah. A little bit when you're talking about doodling and wiggling and stretching our legs and um, yep. we, you know, we do all those things. And if someone challenged us as adults on that, we would have a, uh, you know, very valid rationale that we could give. And we would right. assume that the person challenging us was out of line for, for, for questioning our, our decisions and our choices. But right. um, then when we turn around and try to engage with children, we hold them to a higher standard. Right. And all of that rationale is seen as coddling or um, ch- a losing control and right, right. Um, all those things that came up in those, in those comments. Yeah. And that's what I find interesting too, that idea of losing control. Mm-hmm. And again, for children to be engaged in what they're doing, they need to be in control or at least a shared control with the teacher, right? They can't just throw blocks across the room where there's other kids, (laughs) but there's a big space between sitting completely still unless the teacher allows me to move and throwing blocks at other kids. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of things in between and I worry about teachers who don't think that children have that ability or capability. Yeah. You know, like what's going on there? Why don't you think children can do this? Yeah. Because I've worked with a lot of children and I've seen that they can do it. Right. And so your your view of the child. 
yeah, yeah uh, so comes into this too. Do you see them as competent or do you see them as right. deficient? Yeah. Yeah. So um, maybe this is putting you on the spot, but what do you know about W sitting that came up a lot too in the conversations? Yep. So W sitting is the one form that I encourage people to not let children sit in. Mm -hmm. And so there's, I, I've heard two different points of view on this from an OT perspective. What happens is a child is completely anchored. And the problem with it is they don't switch positions. Right. And so, oh, okay, sure. Because if we force kids to sit in a crisscross applesauce thing, it has the same problem that children aren't switching positions as they need to. Mm -hmm. So, the reason you don't W sit is the same reason you don't force children to crisscross applesauce from an OT perspective. Okay. There's also a pediatrician's perspective that the joints themselves um, can kind of go out of alignment from the position. Again, I think that's partly due to the fact that once you're in that position, you're anchored and you don't move, so you're more likely to stay in it longer. Right, and and that puts stress to, on those yeah parts. So if your... you only did that for you know a, a few minutes a day, it probably wouldn't have any effect, um, especially if you're moving around you know the room and able allowed to play, you know physically, um, mm -hmm. other times of the day. But if you're sitting like that most of the time, and for kids who have a hard time wiggling around, that's the position they're going to go in. And mm -hmm. then the hardest thing is, if it's a classroom where the teacher doesn't want kids shifting around, they might be okay with the W position. Or mm -hmm. then they'll use it as the excuse of... Well, they have to be in crisscross applesauce yeah, to avoid the W. <laughs> yeah. And so then it's like, okay, so now you're still not giving them that freedom of movement that would allow for proper physical development mm -hmm. and you're also having to correct them all the time. So I usually, when I see a kid in a W position, I'll usually say, can you think of another way to sit? Uh -huh. um, if they want more, if they're a five-year-old, they might want more information, but usually for a three-year-old, they're like, okay. <laughs> they just As pop their legs out. This way instead, you know, yeah. they're like, oh, okay. And they can find the position that's comfortable. Um, you know, it's similar to like requiring kids to sit in chairs. A lot of kids are more comfortable with one knee on a chair and the mm -hmm. other like, like standing or standing at a table or kneeling at a table. And all of these things are just as valid. Um, even when eating, I, I remember when my child was younger, their best friend was a um, occupational therapist and we went to their house for dinner and their four-year-old is standing at the table <laughs> and I was just kind of surprised. And it's like, well, it wouldn't be safe if they were running around with, if she, if she was running around with her food, but she knows she just has to stand at the table uh -huh. and she's welcome to sit if she wants, you know? Um, but that, you know, she thought it, it, it's much more about the child's needs for, you know, where do they need? How do they feel anchored? Right. A lot of children are going to be more anchored laying on the floor with just their head up. <laughs> you know, that's a great way like to draw or to write Yeah. at, at four because they don't have to worry about how am I – in order to, to do fine motor activity, you have to be anchored. And right. we sort of assume like in the past, children played enough where they learned to anchor their bodies by the time they were six and expected to write. Now we're having kids write at four, but we want them to sit like a six-year-old was expected 
and still write. And mm-hmm. the truth is, for most kids, that's too hard. Mm-hmm. But if they were allowed to lie down with a clipboard <clears throat> or whatever, they often can. Yeah. The lying down on the belly while you're writing is one of my favorite preschool poses. <laughs> like that's yeah. one of my favorite things to watch. Yeah. And to be honest, I've talked to occupational therapists who say when kids can't write, you know, they're first graders, second graders, and they're not holding the pen right. Mm-hmm. What they do in therapy is essentially give them tummy time. So they have them lay down like that and have some sort of activity. They don't call it tummy time because the kids would know that's a baby thing. Right. But they're having six and seven-year-olds lie on their tummy like that with just their head up and doing something with their hands. And, you know, so in a way, they're making up for what wasn't, the child didn't have enough of when they're younger. Yeah. Occasionally, it's needed extra time, you know, more than what they got. Um, but, but it's that idea of that tummy time is important throughout development. Right. Um, or at least... Um, well, eight years old. Yeah. So it, that just, I kind of had a, a conversation the other day that, that maybe fits here that we sometimes forget that children, that they develop from the core out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so if they, if they haven't had a lot of opportunities to build up that strong core and maybe I'm not yeah. using the, you know, the right, the right language or whatever, but then, then that's, that's more likely why they aren't able to hold a pencil or whatever the scary right. stories are than that they swiped on a screen. Although I know that there are some screen swiping concerns when we're talking yeah. about fine motor too. Um, Although think about the core strength used when you're swiping a screen, the same problem can be you're staying in one position and not yeah. testing your core strength. Yeah. Not I, the I guess, yeah, concern, I'm not, but... not discounting the yeah, screen yeah. stuff. I just, I think that's too easy. And I think we yep. say, um, well, screens are the problem and I don't have a screen, but the parents have screens. And so the parents are the problem and, right. and then we can let go. But, but really it's a lot of, it's a lot of factors. And one of them is that we've created spaces for young children that don't allow them to use their full bodies in the way right. that they need to, sure. um, to, to develop the way that they need to, to be able to do those things. And right. then we're asking them to do it earlier with less practice in the foundational yeah. stuff. And, and then the other side of that is for the children who need movement to help them calm down. I shouldn't say ch- all children and all adults need to have small movements that help them calm down mm-hmm. from um, getting uh, sensory s- stimulation. Right. Mm-hmm. And so our world has so much more sensory stuff going on. So if anything, children need to fidget more, move around more. And yet then we're forcing them not to. So right. it's, you know, it's kind of a double, it's like both things are happening at the same time. If anything, the kids should be doing more physical and open-ended play than ever. Mm-hmm. And instead we're giving them less. So it's yeah. a um, double-edged sword, I guess, to be the word. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. What- that for is it's there. a dangerous sword. <laughs> yeah, it's dangerous either way. Um, but so that idea of worrying about how children sit and policing how they sit rather than what's a way to act out the story so they're moving around uh-huh. or what's a way to um, get them to engage, talk about a book um, while it's being read. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, because that's the other thing is we don't allow kids to call out when they see something that's interesting. Uh And yet that's showing excitement. And in some cultures, that's the appropriate way to show you're interested in something. 
is to, you know, kind of call out while it's happening. Uh-huh. So a book time for some children should be a very loud activity and for others, <laughs> it should be a very quiet activity. Yeah. And that's why it's helpful to have um, opportunities with books in smaller groups. Um, not that you can't do it in a larger group, but that right. the larger group one, you're really focusing on the love of story and the community aspect, mm-hmm. not on other literacy skills such as sound, uh, you know, the phonemes, mm-hmm. um, things like that. That's going to be taught much better one-on-one or, you know, like three-to-one, you know, some small the ratio. Small groups, yeah. Where you can be talking to, I wonder what will happen next. <laughs> what do you think is going to happen? Because if you do that, if you ask a question like that in a big group, you only get the two loudest kids giving exactly. you the answer. <clears throat> so are already up front with their face in the book. Right. So I, you know, I, I think it's great to use books in large groups and in small groups, but just know the skills you're, that are going to sort of be imparted naturally are different, mm-hmm. right? And to, to have everyone sit there while you're trying to have them sound out a word from a book or any type of activity like that, mm-hmm. when it's the whole group, it's like, you know, half the kids are now just focusing on, I got to make sure my legs are crossed, got to make sure... <laughs> They forgot all about what you're doing. Right. Or they've given up and they know they can't meet your expectations yeah, right. and they're tired of hearing it. And so they just walk right. away from the group or yeah. they, or they, right. you know, act, yeah. they just, they just let loose and do whatever they. Yeah. And, and to me, the other part the about it. Yeah. The other thing I worry about something like crisscross applesauce and the compliance thing is if 90% of the kids can do it, even if it's not helping 80% of those kids, mm-hmm. but the 10% who can't suddenly become problem. They're having problem behaviors, challenging behaviors yep. and they're getting called out for things that, you know, I, I compare it to if you had kids come over for circle time and one kid was in a wheelchair, you'd let them have more room. Mm-hmm. Right. You're not going to say, I'm sorry in this classroom in order to be fair, you only get this much space. Exactly. Oh, this was the post I never end up putting on Facebook. I used that example. <laughs> okay. But then if you have a child who needs, to, in order to pay attention or be engaged, they need to physically be moving their body. Mm-hmm. Um, a kid who might pay attention better if they're pacing. So they might need enough room to pace. And they can quickly learn how to pace in the back behind kids and not in front of the other kids so they can't see the book or whatever. Right. Right. And right. So that's when our role as a teacher comes in. <laughs> right. And but to me, it's like that, that space too. And then teachers saying, well, no, I w- they, that's not fair. And it's like, but the kid who has the wheelchair, they're mm-hmm. allowed to have space because they physically need it. Mm-hmm. This child who needs to move in order to pay attention also needs it. I think of that as a physical need, not mm-hmm. coddling or whatever people want to say. Because right. the truth is, show me a school where that child is going to be successful by forcing them to not move. Like, I don't think it's true. Like, I think it's like the kids showing you a physical need, they can eventually learn to sit. But as long as that expectation is when they're nine, they'll be able to sit in a chair and listen to the teacher for whatever, most of the day. And before that, most of the day is moving Mm -hmm. and occasionally sitting. And at four, they're never going to be required to sit. They may sit, but they're going to be required to not interrupt other children. Yeah. And then five, there's a few, little more expectation. Six, there's a little more, you know, mm-hmm. and develop the child. I mean, to me, that's what developmentally appropriate doesn't say 
age appropriate. Uh-huh. If a child right, needs right. to move, they should be allowed to move mm-hmm. and still learn in whatever way the teacher's trying to teach, right? So that, yeah. for me, that's the main thing. Developmentally appropriate never said that all children should be doing the same thing. Exactly. <laughs> and that includes crisscross applesauce. Right, right. We're so, I don't know, we get so obsessed with standardization. Yeah. Even though if, if we asked most people, you know, what do you want your children to be when they're older? It's, it's independent and right. problem thinking and leaders and, you know, you don't get that by standardizing and, and right. uh, making everybody the same. Uh, but it's just, we have a weird lens that we see children through sometimes. Yeah. It's still yeah. that like factory lens. Yes. Yes. It's that yeah. weird thing at the input. We want it to still look like a factory, except that this factory somehow puts out 50, you know, different products, but everyone, <laughs> it's all the same. But all the parts know, are the same. All the parts are the same. <laughs> it, it makes absolutely no sense. And that's part of it too, right? That core thing that you talked about, that developing your core allows you later your fine motor skills could be adept at being a surgeon Mm -hmm. or a jeweler Mm -hmm. or writing. Right. If you focus on holding a pencil correctly first before they've physically developed their outer, you know, their limbs themselves, the Mm -hmm. gross motor, they don't have as much. um, Oh, here's where my brain is not working yet. (laughs) Oh, I think Um, we know where you're going. Yeah, and they're not as adept to just do a lot of different things with their hands, right? Right, that, or they don't see those opportunities Yeah, because they've right. been forced into this one box. Right. <clears throat> and not to mention, you know, that idea of not everyone's going to need to sit for their job. Right. You know, like if you're thinking of, oh, this is helping kids because they'll learn to sit, and learning to sit, kids don't learn to sit by sitting, just like <laughs> an infant doesn't learn to sit by sitting. Yeah. Learn to sit by moving their body a lot. And then when it's time to sit, they're, um, they're able to track with their eyes at various distances, not just uh, the 12 inches to a screen. They're able to um, stay in a seated position, even if they're shifting around because their core strength is there. They're moving around, but it's automatic so they can pay attention to you rather than their movements. Mm-hmm. They can keep the movements quiet enough so that they're not interrupting you. And eventually, you know, as adults, we, all of us have left a movie or a speaker early and you find the moment when it makes sense, you get up and you quickly walk to the back. You make sure you're not walking in front of people, Mm -hmm. you know, like that's a great skill to learn because everyone's (laughs) going to have to do it. Right. So it's, it's just interesting to me when we talk about practical skills, to me, that's the most practical. Mm -hmm. All of us have been in a meeting where someone gets up at an inappropriate time, walks in front of everyone, stands for a moment to like get their phone out of their purse or you know, whatever, you know, yeah. it's like, like who didn't teach them? Like that's <laughs> skip that children should be learning. We know, need that, to teach them how to storm out of meetings. Yeah. And it doesn't matter <laughs> what profession you're in. At some point you're going to find yourself at a football game, a movie sure. or a corporate presentation and you need to exit gracefully you know that's a great skill to learn so i don't know like to me it's like i don't even buy the argument that sitting is the skill that we have to teach it for or no me neither and i think um, uh you know because i'm always going back to think about how you know this new stuff that i am hearing reading thinking about trying fits with my old 
stuff. And right. there's so many times that I've had teachers come to me and want help with managing groups during group time. And my, right. my advice was always like, well, you just have to work to make what you're doing more engaging. So they want to be there. It's right. like I owe them all an apology because that right. was such an oversimplification of what they were trying to engage in me right. in. And, right. Right. Um, and it just isn't, that's not the, that's not the problem. That's the, yeah. the reality is that we need to pay attention to all these other moving parts. Literally. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just, I, and I was also thinking, um, just as sort of a wrap up, uh, one of my favorite things that's happened recently in our community time is we have four little boys who want to sit together all the time yeah. and very close to each other. And um, somebody got up on their knees to see what was going on in the book. And one of the other little boys was just yelling, I can't see, I can't see. And so right. finally I said, well, if you just scoot over there, you can see. And his face was like, oh my God, I could just move myself and solve this problem. Right. <laughs> the, the realization that swept over him. So right. Funny. Well, that's that's the thing. <laughs> There's this buzzword about teaching self-regulation, uh -huh. and yet more and more I see people who use that term are often talking about they want to regulate the kids. Exactly. Well, I'm teaching self-regulation by telling them what to do. It's just Rather another euphemism for discipline. It yeah. It's like crazy. As opposed to what you just talked about, that child was learning, oh, I can take the initiative. <laughs> I have options Move my here. body. <laughs> I don't have to call out to the teacher. I don't have to wait for the teacher to tell me what to do. I mm -hmm. just, and it's like, so there's self-regulation. Like that's mm -hmm. the skill that's actually being talked about yeah. or that, that the phrase refers to not. Right. That's the idea that we should be right. talking about. All right. Well, that was, that was really good, Mike. Thanks so much. Yeah. <laughs> I kept reminding myself that I need to talk too, but um, mostly I was just listening and learning. <laughs> yeah. But I, it's always hard to know how much to, Oh, I, I'm not saying you talk too much. Oh, I do. Don't don't worry. I know that. That's <laughs> no, I just. I my own podcast. I, yeah, I kept looking at myself on my little video here and realizing that I wasn't participating much. Um, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And thanks everybody for listening to another episode. Oh, I did want to ask you. Um, do you want to, Do you want to talk quick about your picture books? Are they still available? Are they? Available? Um, they are still available. They're also through Redleaf Press. Okay. And um. There's six books that can be bought in the set or individually. Um, they're sold as a set called the uh, Early Learning Picture Books, I think, or Early Learning uh -huh. Set. Yeah. But they're all about children in a typical preschool setting um, with typical preschool problems. Mm -hmm. So getting their sleeve wet, finding a worm, you know, things nice. like that. Being sad that mom's gone. Right. All very they're relatable. Very yeah. Cool. They're, right. they're basically, yeah, people say, oh, like people who don't know early child think, well, what happens in the book and, or why is the kid so upset? And everyone who knows a four-year-old, it's like, oh, I know a kid who we could get even that. Help. Yeah. So. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. Um, and thanks everybody. Come back again next week for another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. Goodbye. Thanks, Heather. Yeah. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.